Good evening. A warm welcome to the service uh, this evening. Mr. Don McSween will lead us in prayer in Gaelic, please. Sigahau, Scubili, 
Amen. If you could turn now, please, in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and we'll read the whole of this chapter. This is God's Word. Guard your steps when you draw, when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, or business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow, it is better that you should not vow, than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice, and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his, with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a labourer, whether he eats little or much, but the fool's stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his heart, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, and much vexation, and sickness, and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink, and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, 
the few days of his life that God gives him for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not remember, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Amen. And may God bless that reading of his word to us. Let's pray as we turn back to the passage that we read. Holy God, we thank you for the words that we have been saying that remind us that you are here in this place with us. We thank you that that's the truth, that where two or three meet together in the name of Jesus, you will be amongst us, that you will be with us. And we thank you for the promise also that your word, when it is read even, uh, will not go uh, forth in vain. It will not come back empty, but it will it will achieve all that you set for it to do. And so we ask, Lord, that you would be moving in this place. We pray that you would be working in our hearts. We pray that you would be seeking and saving those who are still lost. We pray that you would be sanctifying and making more like Jesus those who are found, those who are in Christ. At work in us, we pray, for your glory, for the salvation of souls, for the encouragement of your people. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. If you could have Ecclesiastes chapter 5 open before you, that would be helpful, please. Sometimes when a a film or a TV show has been been shot, um, there'll be previews, there'll be trailers that come out in advance of the film being released. And sometimes you'll get a kind of behind-the-scenes video. You'll see in the in the in the PR stuff and the publicity stuff before the film goes out, uh, these these shots, interviews with actors, and sometimes you're you're taken behind the scenes. You see these videos on, on YouTube where uh, you've got the the film set and you see uh, all the actors and they're all in character. Uh, they're dressed for the part. Uh, they've got the right accents. They're they're they're, they're in the zone. Uh, they are playing the part of the character uh, that they that they're portraying in the, in the series or the film. And then the director ends the shot with the board and uh, you, see, you see all these actors and they break character. Uh, so they shift from playing the part to being who they really are. So the, the dangerous gangster puts down uh, the weapon and stops speaking in a broad Cockney accent and, and speaks normally. And the, the, the cowboy puts down the... the the Stetson hat and picks up his mobile phone and starts scrolling through it. And it's a strange thing to see when these actors, they, they break character and you see the real person. And I wonder if Ecclesiastes 5 is, is a wee bit like that. Because up until now, uh, Solomon, as he, if it's Solomon that's writing this, uh, Solomon, uh, he, he's looking at the world from the perspective of someone who doesn't know God. And he concludes over and over again that if all there is is what's under the sun, then it's vanity. It's meaningless. It's like, it's like chasing the wind. And Solomon, he often puts that out there. He often plays that part and, and takes that perspective. But now in this section, in this chapter in the book, it's as if he breaks character. And he, he moves away from this position, this argument that he's following. And he, he tells us what he really thinks as one who who does know God and who knows that there's much more than just what's under the sun. 
And there's three lessons in the in the chapter that we've uh, read, three lessons that I've, I've noted anyway in terms of my own structure. The first thing we're given here is a lesson about worship. And then uh, Solomon gives us a lesson about wealth. It's one of these repeated lessons going through the book. And the final uh, word that we come to at the end of the chapter is there's a, there's a lesson about well-being, holistic uh, well-being. So first of all, and what we'll spend most of our time on this evening is uh, this lesson that Solomon gives us about worship, about worship of God. And the lesson is actually summarized in the headings that were given in the, in the ESV and the NIV anyway. In the ESV, the, the first title, the first section is given the title, uh, Fear God. Or, or in the NIV, it's given the title, Stand in Awe of God. And that sets the tone uh, for worship. John Piper wrote an article just a, just a few weeks ago. And uh, in the course of the article, he, he was writing about what's missing from church, as, as we know church today. And he was arguing that um, churches often can actually look more like coffee shops than they, than they look like places of worship. He's arguing that, uh, that there's some churches where uh, you're, you're given a cappuccino and a cake on the way in the door. And people kind of wander in and they wander out and the phones are on and they're scrolling through the phone. They're having a chat and it's all very casual. And this is what he, he says. Um, John Piper, I'm quoting him here. He says, let me try to get right to the heart of the matter. The heart of the matter is not coffee in the sanctuary. The heart of the matter... It's the absence of an existential, ongoing, terrifying, shocking, awe-inspiring, trembling, mouth-shutting, comforting, safe, satisfying encounter with the majesty and mercy of the great I am who I am. What's missing, says Piper, is a kind of experience of God that shapes a person's entire life with serious joy, glad gravity, sweet sorrow, and the weight of glory. It's the kind of experience of God that has transformed reverence and awe. So that's Piper's thoughts. And long before John Piper wrote that, essentially this is what Solomon is talking about. He's teaching us in this lesson that our worship of God is to be full of reverence and awe. That's what it means to fear God. So what does that look like in terms of a little more detail here? Well, Solomon, uh, as he gives us this lesson about worship, he, he, he gives us two sub-points. First thing he says is, watch your steps. The second thing he says is, is uh, watch your words. So first of all, watch your steps. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps, says the writer, when you go to the house of God. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means that we don't just rush into the house of God unprepared, without any sense of, of expectation. We don't spend our, our, our afternoon filling our minds with this world's stuff. Or rushing around with a schedule that's jam-packed as we try and do a million things. Or maybe sleeping for three and a half hours. And then at 5.55, we just jump in the car and we go. 
There should be some preparation. Not just for the minister, but, but for everyone. Why? Because we are about to meet with the living God. That's why we're here. Not because it's a social engagement in our, in, in our diaries. Not simply so that we all see each other, although there's encouragement in seeing each other. We are here to meet with the living God who has promised that he will be here as we meet in the name of, of Jesus, his son. And remember, this is the same God that Moses met with in, in Exodus 19. Turn with me to Exodus 19 for just a moment. So Exodus 19, remember the children of Israel, they are, they are preparing to, to meet with God. Moses is having this meeting, this encounter uh, with God. And, and the Lord speaks to Moses in order to prepare the people. Exodus 19 and verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. So the Lord is saying to Moses, I will meet with the people, but go to the people in advance of that and consecrate them. And to be consecrated is a, another way of saying, uh, guard your steps. As you prepare to meet with God, guard your steps. To be consecrated is to, to separate ourselves from the things of this world, the things that would distract us. It's to repent of all the sin that, that weighs heavily upon us. And it's to, to, to devote ourselves to God. And that's necessary as we prepare to meet God in his house. But even in our own quiet times, we're to guard our steps. As you and I resolve tomorrow morning, whenever it is that we, we have our quiet times, we're, we're to guard our steps. So we prepare to meet with God. That's what a quiet time is, isn't it? We're preparing to meet with God. So we're to guard our steps. We're to consecrate ourselves. And it involves putting our phones away. It involves uh, closing the doors. Jesus taught us to. Shutting out this world and waiting upon the Lord and expecting that the living, holy, powerful, awesome God will meet with us. So watch your steps. Guard your steps, says Solomon, as you prepare to come in worship. And the second thing he says is, is watch your words. Guard your words. Still in verse 1. To draw near... To listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. And the teaching in this section, um, which we're moving through at high pace here, uh, it, it's got a common thread, and it's a thread that goes all the way through Scripture. Uh, we are to be silent before God. We're to be still, Psalm 46, before God. Not to blabber on, as we're prone to do. We're not to, to speak words thoughtlessly, because that's to speak in vain. We're, we're not to speak words that, uh, 
that don't connect with where our hearts are at. Because to do that is foolish. So it's best to be quiet, uh, to listen, uh, to be still before the Lord. One commentator, uh, Gibson, uh, says this, We are geared to speak and to act much more than we are to listen. But listening to God more than doing things for God is the path of wisdom. Listening to God is the primary sacrificial act of spiritual worship of the true believer. And it does not come naturally. We want to go alone and do what we think needs to be done. The fall into sin in the Garden of Eden before it was ever a taking and touching of forbidden fruit was a failure to listen. Was a failure to listen to the word of God. So we're to watch our words. We're to be quiet. We're to listen. As Solomon goes on in verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Again, there's a development of the same point. Watch your words. Our mouths, verse 6, can lead us into sin. We know that, don't we? We know that out there, but we also know that in here. Our mouths can, can lead us into sin. Our, our many words can be an expression, verse 8, of vanity, meaningless. So we're to watch our words and be careful about what we say in the, in the context of, of worship. Some people never sing. I notice that. Wherever you go, if you glance around, you can see that there's some people, they never sing, never open their mouths. When we stand to, to praise, there's some, and the, the, the mouths stay closed. I don't know why that is. It just, it doesn't seem right. Because we're told in Psalm 100, we're to make a joyful noise. We're to, to, to sing with cheerful voice to the God who is worthy of praise. But our observation would be most people do sing. And when we sing, we make promises. Many of the psalms and many of the hymns are, are, are songs, they are poems, they are prayers where we're promising to, to, to serve the Lord and love the Lord. We're promising, we're saying, we're professing that we're trusting God. We're singing that out. But sometimes our hearts don't connect with our words. Is that not true? Sometimes we're singing out words. But our hearts are not connecting with the words that we sing. This is a problem especially for ministers. I'll let you into a, a trade secret. When you're standing here and you're preparing uh, to, to preach a message, uh, there can be a praise that's on the screen. There can be music that's playing. Words can be coming out of our, our lips and yet our minds are going to the, the thing that we're about to say. There's a disconnect between the words that are going out and what's going on in the heart. So it's possible for us to go through a form of worship. And it's not worship. It's not true. It's not spiritual. It's not full of the awe, the respect, the wonder, the praise that God is worthy of. So we're to watch our words. We're to watch our steps. So what's Solomon saying, if we put it positively, as we, as we think about uh, the area of worship? Well, Solomon is saying, expect to meet with God. When you come to worship, expect to meet with God when you come to worship. So come prepared. 
come with reverence. <coughs> and Solomon is saying, expect God to speak to you when you come to worship. So be silent, be still, and listen. <coughs> and Solomon is saying, expect God to listen to you when you come to worship. So be careful with your words, what you say. Gibson again says, take care every single time you come to church. Don't let habit and custom and familiar routine become rote and superficial. You are worshipping a holy God. As the Bible is read and expounded, know that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Be sure to listen more than you speak. Listen to God and bend your knee in reverence to him. A lesson about worship. Second point is there's a lesson about wealth. And as we go from verse 7 to, to verse 8, we might think, um, where's the connection? Um, you know, sometimes when you're driving a car, you go from gear one to gear two, and sometimes it's smooth. Sometimes it's a bit of a crunch. There's a grind and there's a crunch. And we might think, well, going from verse 7 to verse 8, uh, is Solomon grinding the gears here? Because uh, is there a, a clear connection between, between verse 7 and verse 8? Well, I, I think there is. There is a clear connection between worship and wealth. I mean, all of us are worshippers. That's the truth. All of us in here and all of us out there. Are, we're all worshippers. All of us have been made to, to worship God. But if we don't worship God, we will worship someone or something else. And one of the most commonly worshipped things is, is wealth. We often hear the, the, the phrase uh, being misquoted. People will say, money is the root of all evil. It's not. It's the love of money. It's the worship of money. That's the root of all evil. That's First Timothy 6 and verse 10. And Solomon here is giving us a lesson about how true that is. He, he talks to us about the, the vanity of wealth and honor. That's the heading given to, to verse 8 and following. Verse 8 says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and yet there are higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated, cultivated fields. So what's the, the point here in verse 8? Well, essentially what Solomon is saying is that for one person to be super rich, there are many people that end up being super poor. That's the way of the world. One commentator, Hale, says, Officials use their authority. Each one takes some land for himself, usually with the connivance of the official above him. The king himself profits from the system. And that's the way it was all the way back then, and that's the way it still is today. And yet Solomon is reminding us that there's a God who is higher. There's a God who is over every official. And he sees all the oppression of the poor. He sees everything in terms of the wealth that we accumulate. There was a headline in a, a paper called The Evening Standard. It was in 2012. It's perhaps not relevant today, but the headline was Exposed. Primark sweatshops that pay children just 60 pence a day. That's the way it was. And they were exposing this as an exploitation of a, a big company of, of poor people far away. That may all have changed today. Okay, it's Primark coming soon. North Addis Free Church. They won't have much to take. But the point is, God sees it all. 
He sees into the sweatshops of these faraway lands where these children are working all day and all night. And yet the same God who sees into the sweatshops sees into the luxurious office of the CEOs who profit from the slave labor. And this is the God who will judge those who oppress the poor and who violate justice. So there's a lesson here about wealth that's consistently threaded through this book. There's a challenge for us here. God sees how we spend our money. We don't see each other's bank accounts, but God knows how much is in our bank accounts. He knows how we spend our money. And so we're to be careful with what he's allowed us to have. And I suppose there's a comfort in this lesson as well, in knowing that God will hold to account those who exploit others so that they can get much more money than they need. So the fat cat who lives in luxury, whilst young children in another country suffer, uh, may benefit from that arrangement in time. But there is a God who is outside of time who will require an answer from these people in eternity. Verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with his money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a labourer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. And it's that repeated teaching. We need the repetition because it's so slow to go in our heads. Money will never satisfy. That's the point. The more we get, the more we want. And often those who have the most have all the stress that goes with it. So that the CEO of Amazon or the CEO of, of Apple uh, may be super rich, but he is under so much pressure, likely his and her sleep will, will not be sweet. It will be broken. But the laborer in the field who has little in comparison sleeps well after a hard day's graft. Verse 13. There's a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his heart. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. And the best commentary on these verses is not uh, from some scholar in a, uh, an academic institution. The best commentary on this short section is, is given to us by Jesus in Matthew 6, uh, verses 19 to 21. And Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's what Jesus taught, and that's what Jesus lived out. The most contented man that ever lived was Jesus. And yet he had no money. He had no house. He had no bed, no place to lay his head. He had no treasure in this world. Because he saw how vapor-like this world is. He saw how disposable the, the, the riches of this world are in comparison with the lasting treasure of glory. And Solomon is teaching us to see wealth uh, like Jesus did. Lesson about worship, a lesson about wealth. And finally, 
just in a word, a lesson about welfare. Behold, says Solomon, what I have seen, verse 18, to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. So to conclude this, this chapter, um, essentially this is, this is a summary of, of a lot of what we've, we've come to so far. And uh, Solomon is underlining uh, the answer for us uh, in terms of well-being. How can we know uh, well-being? How can we know that holistic uh, welfare of body and mind and heart in this world? Is, is Solomon uh, telling us that if we're wanting to, to have a well-being, we have to, to give away all our stuff and close our bank accounts and go off grid, dig a hole, live in some cave like a, a modern-day monk? Well, no, that's not what we've been taught to do. So what are we to do? We're to worship God. And be thankful for the things that he has allowed us to have. But be careful not to let these things take his place. We're to be thankful for the good gifts, the food, the drink, the work, the wage that the Lord has put in our hands. We're not to worship these things. We're to hold them loosely and we're to use them for his glory. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. A lesson about welfare, a lesson about wealth, and a lesson about worship. We'll pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us not just to hear, but to believe, to respond, to obey, uh, to live in accordance with uh, your will and for your glory. We pray that when we are in this building here or any other church building, that we would come prepared, that we would come with that sense of expectation that you, the living God, will meet with us. And even in our own homes, as we open the Bible, as we close the door, we pray that you would fill our hearts with that sense of reverence and awe, that the living God would meet with us, that the God of heaven and earth would seek to to draw near even to us as we seek to draw near to you. We pray that we would never lose that sense of wonder and love and praise. We think back to last week. We think about uh, the advice we were given, never to lose that sense of wonder at the cross. We pray that you would forgive us, Lord. Sometimes we do. We pray that you would forgive us for the times that we have a form of godliness, where our hearts are disconnected from the form and the words that we speak. Forgive us for such hypocrisy. Touch our hearts, Lord, day by day, we pray, and help us to worship you in reverence and awe, in love and praise, both in here and out in the world. We thank you for the things that you allow us to have, for the, the time that you give us each day, every day that we are given as a gift from you, the talents that we have given are a gift from you, the things that we are allowed to have, the money, that's in our bank accounts, the roof over our heads. These things are gifts from God. May we never take them for granted, but may we seek to use them and use the lives that you have given us uh, to worship you, to glorify God, 
to hear our prayers, cleanse us from sin, and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all, now and forevermore. Amen.